Hi team, welcome back to Becoming a Doctor. I'm Kira, a third year medical student at the University of Birmingham. And I'm Lucy, a second year medical student at the University of Cambridge. Welcome back to our podcast series where we bring you honest insights about life as a medical student, discuss current affairs and talk to guests to inform and motivate you on your journey to becoming a doctor. In today's episode, we are very lucky to have Dr. Rob with us, and we'll be talking all about how coronavirus has affected vets, the prospect of vets helping in the NHS, and more. Even if you are not planning to apply for veterinary medicine, this episode is not one to miss. In interviews, you are nearly always asked to demonstrate an insight into the MDT approach, and it would be brilliant to bring in the role vets have and how they're involved in this public health crisis. Make sure you listen to our episode talking to Dr. Chohan, a dentist, to learn how dentists are affected by COVID-19 too. Hi Rob, thank you so much for speaking to us this evening. So for some of our listeners that might not have met you before, I think it'd be good if we start off with you introducing yourself and just giving us a bit of a background as to who you are. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Robert Campbell. I am a vet about two years out of university. Um, I graduated from the Edinburgh Vet School in 2018 and I have recently, very recently in the past month, um, moved to Liverpool to a new job um, and I work at the Liverpool Vet School as a lecturer in primary care which is essentially general practice if you were to think of it as medicine Um, so I just started that a month ago um, at the start of corona and I moved here by myself I don't really know that many people it's been a bit of a surreal experience but we're doing all right (laughs) good and when you say you're working at the vet school are you is it only teaching or is it like 50 50 split how does that work yeah so the title is actually lecturer um lecturer in primary mm-hmm. care is the title um but i yeah very for sure but i work in the first opinion practice so um for everyone that is a non-vet if you take your animal because it's got any sort of normal ailment you'll take them to a first opinion practitioner and then they will see what's wrong with them and try and sort them and if it's something which is sort of out of their remit then they will go to a specialist so that would be the the vet school teaching hospital so i don't work there because you've got to be very fancy dancy and have done lots of certificates and things like that and pass lots of exams so that's the long-term goal but at the moment um, (laughs) I really wanted a job where I could do a lot of teaching but also see clients because probably one of the biggest reasons I wanted to be a vet um, I didn't like people enough to be a doctor but I did like people enough to be a vet so it's a perfect balance of teaching owners a little bit of lecturing as well and the job is really rare there's not a lot of those jobs in veterinary so I applied for it a bit on a whim I thought I was definitely inexperienced to get it um, but here we are <laughs> amazing well congratulations to start with and I guess I think we want to leap straight in and say well if you're supposed to be a lecturer what's been happening since COVID-19 where, where are your students where are my students a good question so I obviously started this how the students sort of come to us is their final year of vet students and one of their rotations is in the first opinion practice that I work in. So I was just buzzing about that. Like I'd have a student, I'd have a group of students every single day. But then at the end of my first week of work, all students got sent home <laughs> and are probably going to be oh at home until sort of like September-ish before sort of normal teaching resumes after. So, I mean, I say that like, 
that's a bad thing but I don't think coming into a new job um, mm-hmm. it's actually been quite nice to maybe not have yeah. that many eyes on me <laughs> to start um, and obviously the students themselves and um, some of them you know they're not getting a graduation mm-hmm. you know five years of of veterinary and they don't get that summer graduation that everyone looks forward to you get your photos wearing um your gowns and your robes in the sun and I mean I just I I can't even like begin to think how that must feel and maybe maybe not going into jobs either because uncertainty whether there is a role available whether the vet practice can supply that role if they need it can they afford it it's um it's a really scary time I think for the final year um vet students and you know probably medical students alike yeah I was just going to say so I saw an article on the vet times on the 6th of April now so a few days ago but it talked about a Facebook group which had been set up by a vet with the purpose of collecting the names of vets veterinary nurses and students to join the front line in the NHS when I last checked it had over 4,000 signups and it was in contact with 50 hospital trusts and I was wondering have you heard about this before and is is there something you've been approached to do? Yeah, isn't this just amazing? Yeah. So the, the vet in question is Jo Hillard, um, and she really set up this like national effort because with vets and corona, a lot of us have been furloughed, which I say as if it's a word I use all the time. This is a very much new word to me. Um, but the practices aren't going to sort of lay them off, but they are putting them into um, furlough for three weeks, if not longer, um, and they, they can't work in that in that time frame. But there's so many vets, vet nurses, vet students, which want to help. And they actually do have this really clinical background that is so easily transferable to humans and the NHS. So I think it all mm. sort of started from that, that, you know, suddenly there was a lot of the veterinary profession that were maybe doing nothing and they wanted to help. I mean, I think like all of us are people that are doers, we're really productive people. And the idea of lockdown for so long is um, like really scary. Mm. So whether it be in a bedside role, whether it be um, on the phone, picking up meds, prescriptions, whatever. So I did a bit of research today just on the actual Facebook page. So the Facebook page is thriving. Um, There's now 5,000 members. I just checked today and I looked at my local ones. Obviously, like Liverpool would be my local university hospital. Now, I can't help because I'm currently working um, full time in in my practice. But Mm -hmm. one of the job adverts that they put up was the Liverpool University Trust um, has identified that there's a great need for help regarding PPE. And there's this role which is called the PPE champion. And it basically supports medical staff on the wards using this equipment and making sure that they have the PPE there and they are properly sort of gowned and gloved and masked before they go in before they come out and on the job role it sort of says that um, you will be working in COVID wards but not directly patient facing so it's it's really interesting I think to give vets an insight into the NHS and see how other things work because we are so fascinated and I think like it's the same it's a mirrored image as well I feel like you guys would be so fascinated be like yo you do that in animals you know so yeah it's a voluntary basis or you can receive a salary but obviously if you've been furloughed like you can't accept a salary so Mm. um, there's plenty of vets and vet nurses that are just um, more than happy to volunteer and just sort of help at the front line if you if you like yeah 
what has happened to all of the veterinary practices then at this time have they all have they closed down are they offering any emergency services or yeah so it's it is changing pretty rapidly um but my practice and i would say my my practice is the same really as as all practices in the uk at the moment we're seeing urgent or emergency um cases or cases that in the next two months there would be animal welfare sort of affected so a lot of it is actually the vets who kind of decide what we're seeing we've got guidelines from our royal college um, and our bva which is the british veterinary association as to sort of what we see but um it is is pretty limited so to just like give you an idea of like what i'm seeing i work in the practice but there are vets who are working from home and they are doing um, like telemedicine, so either using Zoom um, or just a phone call to triage things which think warrant a vet conversation, a vet consultation, but maybe not a trip to the practice because you know you've got to limit this um, travel to the practice if it's not necessary. So that's a bit of triage. Even before then, the receptionists or triage, my um, receptionists at my practice, they're working from home as well. And in the entire building, there's normally 11 of us plus yeah. six students, and so 17 in total. But at the moment, there is only uh, two members of staff um, throughout the day. So there will be one vet and then one other. It may be a nurse or it may be a vet. Um, so I'm very keen to get out and work and just sort of have my mind stimulated like all day. So I have committed to just working every day, but in the practice. So I'm seeing a lot of emergencies, but it's, it's also quite interesting. I call it the snow day syndrome. And it's basically when clients, owners are at mm. home for a long length of time and they don't really have much to do. They start to almost see problems in their animals, mm. which maybe aren't there. Um, so we call it snow day syndrome. So when you have a snow day and everyone has to stay at home, they suddenly go, eh, is, is Molly itching more? And Molly might not be itching more, but you get a lot of people that are like, oh, I, I want to talk to a vet now. And actually I'm dealing with a proper emergency that mm. I had one last week that was paralyzed off its back legs and I needed to send it to a referral hospital. Also what that brings into question is that people don't have money at the moment. Mm. It's, it's really affecting us. So I would say I'm doing a lot more put to sleep, which is, you know, the nice word for euthanasias. <laughs> I'm doing a lot more euthanasias um, mm. than I maybe would do if we weren't in this because people don't have that money to be giving out when they really don't know when the next lot of money is coming in. And it's, you know, it's a sad, it's a really sad part of part of the job and it always has been and it always will be. But I'm definitely finding it particularly hard. And oh, yeah. I think with the social distancing, obviously when you, when you put an animal to sleep, you need to put an IV line in and then it's just an overdose on anesthetic drug. But when you put that IV line in, you're obviously close to the animal and you're going to be close to the owner. Um, so we are only allowing one owner mm. in for um, that one animal euthanasia. Mm. And that, that's such a horrific sort of decision to have to make. You know, it could be a family pet and only one person's allowed to come in. And then I set up an IV line and a, a drip line so I can then be about two meters away and be mm -hmm. a safe distance. And I glove and there's very minimal sort of social contact. And that, you know, it inevitably loses a bit of compassion. 
which is so important as a vet. Yeah. And you need to empathize and sympathize with owners, but also animals and, and whatnot. So it's completely changed yeah. in how I'm doing my job. So not, not only am I in like a new job anyway, but I'm doing like a different job than I ever did before as a vet, I'd say. Yeah. And if we were to call coronavirus world kind of a new way of living, like in terms of NHS has got new ways they're operating. And obviously it sounds like you've got lots of new ways you're doing things. Is there anything you'd like to keep or see carry on after this period potentially? Or is it all um, things that perhaps you're not that keen to stick around? No, there's definitely things that I am like grateful for in this corona world. I think people are living at a bit Mm -hmm. of a slower pace of life because you know the the days are so long and the weeks are even longer and that's made I would definitely say that's made my clients a lot more like patient and understanding so it's it's just really nice when they phone up and they maybe want the repeat prescription for you know let's say like wormer or something which is something we give out all the time quite often before corona you know they'd expect it that same day they'd expect you to drop everything and just do it but now they are just so much you know they're really happy to just wait a week they understand that we've got more important things to do and like there just seems to be this uh, like patience that they have and this um, understanding that they're like, no, you are going through a really tough time and what I'm requiring of you is, is nothing. Um, I've, I've really not had that many clients sort of be like rude to me or be like upset or aggressive. And a lot of the times when animals are involved and animal welfare is involved and people, people love their animals, you know, um, especially Liverpudlians. And they can get quite worked up mm-hmm. and animated um, about it. It's a part of the vet that you kind of just learn to accept. Um, but I, I definitely think with coronavirus, everyone um, is just a lot more accepting of what's going on and everyone's following the rules. I don't see people, even when I ask for only one member of a family to come in with a euthanasia, I've, I've never had someone sort of disagree with that or try and um, try and fight that. They, they completely understand what's going on. And I think they get that if I was to get coronavirus, then there's so many animals that then wouldn't be seen because we're a vet down. And just, yeah, people's gratitude um, has been amazing. Have you seen any pets that have had coronavirus symptoms or has it not really occurred yet? Uh, Okay, this is like probably a a really common, like big question. So in terms of coronaviruses in cats and dogs, coronaviruses is obviously like a, a big group of viruses, a big family of viruses. So cats and dogs do get coronaviruses, but it's not COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> so what they get in cats, they get a coronavirus, which um, brings about a disease called FIP, feline infectious peritonitis. And dogs, when they get their coronavirus, um, it just sort of uh, gastric upset and a bit of diarrhea. It is not COVID-19. And as far as we're concerned, the pets can't get coronavirus either, as in the one that we're talking about, SARS-CoV-2. There was a case in Hong Kong, and it was a Pomeranian, and it's sort of quite a famous one. It was like really well documented, obviously, because ah. everyone was just so scared about it, um, that they tested the dog. And so the owner did have coronavirus, and um, they then tested the dog, yeah. and it did come back positive on um, PCR, uh, nasal swab, um, and a mouth swab. So 
what they then did is they put that animal into isolation and they kept testing it and kept testing it. It never showed any clinical signs and then it eventually did become negative. But what's important to know is the actual mm. uh, coronavirus that they were testing, um, it never sort of got mm. through the cells and then became infective. And that's just really, really important, I think. So I think it was more a case of... Mm. Um, the virus was living there just on that oral mucosa but actually wasn't able to invade cells and then replicate and then cause an infection so yeah the the coronavirus is very similar to bats i think that the genus is like 96 percent similar and there's so much research still be going on with that but in terms of being a vet and treating animals they they can't get coronavirus like like humans can right the one thing we are maybe worried about is that they could act as fomites. So like fomites being something that um, a virus could live on temporarily and then that can transport around. So if someone does have coronavirus, it's something that our receptionists are asking um, with every phone call because it means that if the animal is coming in, A, we don't want the people really to make that travel. So someone else needs to take it. But also when the animal comes in, should we be bathing it? Should we be using a different lead? Should we be using our own collars? All these things sort of come into play because we don't know how long the virus can live on fur um, or like, you know, surfaces like yeah. a lead or a collar. So mm -hmm. I don't have any contact with owners. They drop their animal with the lead and the collar in the porch. And when they come through, I've got gloves on. And then if they've made it that far, they probably aren't having coronavirus the owners aren't having coronavirus symptoms but it is something to sort of um, take note of the bva recently released something about cat and outdoor cat yeah i saw that yeah so i think what that's trying to say is that if cats are in um, a fomite of infection cats quite often people just let cats into their house even if it's not their cat mm. um and therefore that could be a fomite which is going from one household which is self-isolating because they've got symptoms and then the cat meanders off tries to get its eighth meal of the day <laughs> and walks in you know everyone pets it everyone gives it kisses and whatnot and then suddenly you might have it because of that so there's more a sort of precautionary thing and it does it does make yeah. sense but um I, I can't find any studies at the moment who's where we're testing um coronavirus longevity i suppose like on dander and fur of, of dogs and cats it's all very confusing isn't it especially i think when you throw in the term zoonotic which some people might have heard before and it's been battered around that coronavirus is yeah. a zoonotic disease which some people might have not heard of so would you be able to just briefly explain what zoonotic means and what it means in the context of coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. So um, zoonotic, in, <laughs> in my head, as soon as I hear the word zoonotic, I think of rabies straight away. And it's sort of the first disease that they teach you about at vet school about zoonosis. I got a definition of zoonotic. Zoonotic disease is a disease or infection that is naturally transmissible from vertebrate animals to human. Animals thus play an essential role in maintaining zoonotic infection in nature. So World Health Organization, who have said that right. um, coronavirus is zoonotic, but it's always interesting when you're talking about zoonoses and you say animals to humans, it's sort of specific animals. It's not every animal in the animal kingdom. And that's where it gets taken out of context because then people think, oh, well, I've got a pet dog. 
and therefore it's going to give me coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so what I was saying earlier about sort of the bats is that they're thinking maybe that's mm-hmm. where this coronavirus might have mutated from. I read mm-hmm. an article a couple of days ago that there was a lab in either China or Hong Kong that were testing the stray dog population and wondering if they might have been an intermediate host. So this is a host which can carry the virus or the bacteria and then they can pass it on to another host, us, the humans, and we get infected by it. So that's that's what zoonosis means. There's, there's lots of other um, zoonotic diseases out there. That's what a zoonosis is and technically a coronavirus um, or COVID-19 is um, a zoonotic disease, but you've just got to take that with a pinch of salt because what animals are the ones which can act as um, hosts and carriers of this? Yeah. Yeah. One of the final things I wanted to discuss was the concept of One Health. Now, this was something that I was very recently introduced to by talking to one of my friends who's a vet student. And before that, I thought I, I had no idea this thing existed. But then they told me that actually it's been around for ages. And in the vet community, it's it's very well recognised and known. However, I really don't think it's been covered nearly enough in the medical side of things so would you be able to just explain a bit about what Mm -hmm. one health is and why everyone should really know what it is if you're going into any kind of career in medicine dentistry or veterinary science yeah absolutely so one health you know as you say is something which is big in veterinary and so we all know about one health in veterinary and maybe not so much um, if you're from like a medical background but it is basically the collaboration of ideas um, and like medical themes and diagnostics and like sharing all of this knowledge which we have between medicine dentistry vet and even really just science in general so it really comes into play with you know pandemics like this where you've got all of us working together on our different parts so even you know the the study that I was telling you about there will be doctors and epidemiologists involved in trying to work out how the coronavirus has got into the humans but then there will be vets involved with trying to get the stray dog samples there will be scientists involved with trying to get the DNA processed and the whole genome sequence and that sort of collaboration and shared ideas is what's behind One Health. In terms of like vets working in public health, um, we say an oath at our graduation, um, which then, once you said that, we then sign on to be a member of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. Um, and that oath, obviously there's a lot of it which is to do with animal welfare, but there is also a line in it about um, public health and how vets serve um, as part of like public health warriors if you like so um i've got a lot of friends who are farm vets and every every bit of meat that is on your plate has inevitably seen a vet um so they are um, key workers as well and they've got to keep the the um food production line going mm. um, and also there are plenty of vets that work in government they work in policy they work in labs that are testing for coronavirus that are trying to you know work out vaccines and stuff like that um although i think you straight away just think oh well if it's a disease which is infecting humans like it's just going to be medical doctors that are working on it but actually vets are um involved in there so that's that's the mantra behind one health Mm. i think this has really highlighted that especially talking to yourself and priya who we had on before about how everyone really is pulling together and it's nothing like i've ever known of or even people I speak to, they've said they've never heard of anything like this happening in the past. So 
hopefully some some good will come out of it and things can carry on in the future yeah no it's it's absolutely massive isn't it and just unprecedented and i think although there's so much bad to come with it if we can try and find some good and keep that keep that going um, like i am so in awe of this guy captain tom who's like what? oh i know and he just wanted to raise like a thousand pound and here he is like last time i saw it was 14 million but honestly in a couple hours it just becomes more and more and more and yeah just amazing mm. he is incredible well thank you ever so much for chatting to us this this evening is there anything else you think we haven't covered that you'd like to add or um just like a sort of message i suppose to like any vet students that are out there mm-hmm. i think it's it's a really scary time if you're a final year vet student um, especially um and you might have sat your finals you might have sat your finals at home you might have done it, you know, open book, or they might have completely changed everything that was going to happen. But honestly, once this is all over, and there will be an end to it, you know, you will still be vets, and you are still as much of a a member of the profession Mm. as anybody else. I just think that's really important that that they know that it's a really scary time for them. And if you're a vet student that's not in final year, just appreciate that it could be so much worse. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much. Perfect. No, not a problem. Okay, see you then. So that wraps up this episode. Dr. Rob has shared some great insight into the life of a vet during COVID-19 and explored the new initiatives to get vets helping on the front lines and also how coronavirus has highlighted the concept of One Health. Make sure you hit subscribe to be notified when our next episode is released. And as always, follow Medic Mentor on Twitter at MedicMentor1. And don't forget to keep an eye on the blog on the Medic Mentor website. Please comment on the blog for this episode. Any thoughts, questions, things you like, things you, we could do differently and what you'd like us to talk about next. We do check it regularly and respond to all comments. Have a good one, guys. Bye.